Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Hey, I'm so glad you're here today. Um, We're going to take one week, and this is a one-week series we're doing this week. Usually we do like four-week series, or we'll do an eight or 12 sometimes week series. And today we're doing one week, and we're going to cover an entire book of the Bible today. It's the book of Philemon. And one of my staff told me earlier, they said, I've never heard a sermon preached on the book of Philemon. And I was like, well, there you go. I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing. Uh, But the book of Philemon was written around 62 AD by the Apostle Paul. It was written along with the book of Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians about the same time. Um, And Paul was imprisoned in Rome, and he writes these letters to encourage the body and to bless the body, and uh, and he writes these letters to different churches. Now, the book of Philemon is a little different because he doesn't write it to a church, he writes it to an individual man. And this individual man, his name was Philemon, and he was part of the Colossian church. So the book of Colossians uh, was written to the church that Philemon actually attended. Philemon was a wealthy landowner, Um, he, he owned a number of slaves, and in New Testament times, a slave was different than what we think of in pre-Civil War times. Um, people, the Bible prohibits taking someone against their will and forcing them into labor. Um, and so what we know of as slavery, people taken from Africa, shipped over on slave ships and forced into labor is prohibited across the board in the Bible. So the Bible does not agree with that at all. So what we see in the New Testament is um, that there were people that would They would uh, sell themselves into slavery, sometimes to pay off debt. If they had high debt they couldn't pay on, they would would sell themselves into slavery. Aren't you grateful that credit card companies can't do that to you today? Um, (laughs) Some of you are like, I'm slaves to Visa. Anyway, um, so these people would sell themselves into slavery, or if they were lower class in in Greek culture, Roman culture, they would... would sell themselves into slavery to learn a trade so that they could maybe improve their social status. Um, So it looked different than it does today, but in the Roman Empire, slaves still had very, very limited rights. And so Paul writes this letter to Philemon because they have a special relationship. Philemon actually came to salvation under Paul's ministry, under his leadership. And so Paul is writing this letter, but it's interesting because Philemon had a slave that, that worked for him who escaped, and his name was Onesimus. And Onesimus leaves, but he doesn't just leave, he takes something valuable of, of uh, Philemon's. And it doesn't say specifically what it was, whether it was a possession or money, but he leaves and escapes. And he goes to the, the largest city in the Roman Empire, uh, literally million people, and you think, if you're going to escape to anywhere, that's where it would be. But I've got news for you. Uh, No matter how far you run, if God's got a plan for your life, he will track you down. And so Philemon runs thinking, this is it. I'm good. I've gotten away. And he gets away. And sure enough, he runs into this guy named Paul, who he knew because Paul had led his master, Philemon, to the Lord. Somewhere along the way, the Bible doesn't tell us explicitly what happens, but somewhere along the way, Philemon surrenders his, uh, I'm sorry, Onesimus surrenders his life to Christ. He becomes a follower of Jesus. He gets involved with the ministry of Paul. And then after Paul's imprisoned, he actually helps take care of Paul in prison. He helps uh, come around him, help him. He runs errands for him, things like that. And so what Paul is doing with the book of uh, the letter to Philemon is he's trying to petition on Onesimus's per- behalf. He's trying, to, he's trying to correct this relationship and make this relationship right. Because under the Roman Empire and Roman, under Roman law, an escaped slave, if a slave escapes, that was punishable by death. So it was a capital offense for, for Onesimus to leave. So if he ever went back, 
he quite literally could forfeit his life. And so what Paul's trying to do is trying to bridge the gap in their relationship and fix their relationship. And so what we see here are a couple themes in this very short book. Literally, if you're around church enough, you know that when you read from Scripture, it's like Romans chapter 2, verse 3, or whatever it might be. In Philemon, there are no chapters because there is a chapter. So it's just Philemon 1. Does that make sense? So it kind of throws you off a little bit. But the, the two predominant themes we see in the book of Philemon are, number one, the power of the gospel to transform lives. And I was hoping somebody would be excited about that, but that's okay. You'll have a chance in a little bit. Number two, the power of gospel to transform relationships. Because the gospel is powerful to do both those things. Now, if you're new to church, or maybe you're new to, to our church, and you've heard the word gospel before, that it's just kind of a Christian cliche. What we're talking about when we talk about the gospel, in the Greek, gospel means good news. And so literally what we're talking about is the good news that Christ laid down his life and paid the price for our sins. Um, and that is good news. And you think, well, how can that be good news? He lost his life, but he willingly gave his life for us. He paid the price for us. And that is the good news, literally, for us today. So I want to jump in to Philemon 1, and uh, we'll start reading there, verse 1. It says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul begins the letter, this is kind of a standard salutation, and he addresses them. And he does a couple things that is interesting to me. He, he addresses the house church that's there because Philemon, just like we're doing small groups, and I'm encouraging you to get involved in small groups, the, the church in Colossae had many different churches that were all connected. There were house churches or small groups, if you want to say it that way, that were all connected as a church. And so Philemon led one of those churches. So he's, he's just encouraging him, blessing him, welcoming him, thanking him. But he also, he also sends greetings to Aphia, who is uh, the wife of Philemon. And there are many people, and if you disagree with me, this is okay, but there are many people that feel like women should not be in leadership roles in churches. And so we as a church believe that women can be just as called as men are. And, and so one of the things we see in Scripture is Paul welcoming and addressing women on the same level many times as he addresses uh, men. And this is one of those occasions where he, he welcomes them and addresses them uh, in similar fashions because he values female leadership along with male leadership. So he, he says this, but he says, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. Now it's interesting because Paul led Philemon to the Lord. So he could have said, to, to Philemon, my spiritual son, or to Philemon, the, the man who serves under my leadership. But he didn't. He said, my fellow worker. And I love this because what he's doing is he's helping him understand what you're doing has value and has importance. And he does that even more in just a moment. But he's bringing unity to the body because so many times it's easy to see what we're doing is valuable, but what others are doing is not as valuable as what we're doing. And what he's doing is saying, no, 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 what you're doing is important. What you're doing is valuable. You are my fellow worker in this thing. And one of the most important things we can do to bring unity to the body of Christ is be a first clapper for someone else. When we see another church or another, another group of people, another group of believers doing well, it's important for us to be able to go, yes, we celebrate that. We are cheering you on. We are for you. Because that communicates something to us, but it also communicates something to the world. That we're on the same team. We've got the same vision. We're moving in the same direction. And Paul's doing that. And he's establishing that early on. He goes on in verse four to say, 
I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So again, this is him coming back and going, I recognize what you are doing. You are doing important things. You're doing valuable things. You're doing things I couldn't do. And because you're ministering well where you're at, you're loving people, supporting people, helping people. It blesses me. And again, he's cheering them on. Verse 8 says this, Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. A couple of things I want to point out in this passage. Uh, it's interesting because in verse 8 he says, he says basically, um, hey, I could appeal to you from a positional state where I say, hey, I'm the boss, you need to do this. But he says, what I'd like you to do is I'd like your heart to be shifted so that it's not me commanding you to do something, it's your heart that motivates you to do something. If, if that doesn't make sense to you, if you're a parent, you understand this. Have you ever had your kids uh, bickering maybe? Uh, maybe you were a kid and you were bickering and you experienced it this way. But your parent would say something like this, Tell your sister you're sorry. And that's when you go, dear sister, <laughs> I beseech thee, my heart is weary and longs for reconciliation, right? No, this is what you do. Tell your sister you're sorry. Sorry. <laughs> right? So we were doing the right thing. We were apologizing, but our heart was not connected to it at all. And so really, there was no reconciliation because they recognize your heart's not in it. And so what Paul's saying is, I want you to be reconciled, but I want your heart to be in it. I want you to hear my heart. I want you to understand how important this is. And when you see the value of this, I hope your heart is swayed and pulled to a point that, that you'll reconcile on your own. Because again, we can do the right thing with the wrong motivation and it can still be wrong. Uh, and this is what Paul's trying to get at here. He, he says, basically, I could compel you because of my position, but I want this to come from your heart. See, Onesimus was saved under Paul's ministry. Um, when Onesimus left, he left as a runaway slave. He left as a, a guy who had stolen some stuff from his master. And when he arrived in Rome, that's who he was. But what happened with Paul is, is, is Onesimus experienced the gospel, and remember what the gospel is. It's the good news. It's this idea that Jesus paid the price for us. And when he really experienced that and saw that and felt that, he was transformed. And this is what I would tell you today. The gospel has transformative power for people who embrace it in our lives. I was hoping you'd be more excited about that. The gospel has transformative power when embraced in our lives. Now, if you're following along on the YouVersion Bible app, the notes are there, and parenthetically I put, beside embraced, applied. Um, because the truth is, we can know something and not apply something. We can know something cognitively and not apply it to our lives. I'll give you an example. You, you go to see your doctor, and your doctor says to you, Mel, hypothetically, you're overweight. You need to lose some weight. Which, again, it clearly is not the case. 
And you say to the doctor, doctor, what do I need to do? Well, you need to regulate your diet, smaller portions, eat better and exercise. That's what you need to do. That's the magic formula, right? So that's what you need to do. Okay, I need to eat better and I need to exercise. Got it. Any other tips? Yeah, I don't go to the meadows five times a week. It's like, oh, right? Okay, I know what I need to do. I know what I need to do. And I leave the doctor's office and I continue to go to the meadows five times a week, which by the way, I don't go to the meadows five times a week. So save your mail. I'll be okay. I promise. Uh, you, you can't go to the meadows five times a week, but if you keep going, you go, well, I know what the doctor said, but I love the meadows so much, right? Um, I know what the doctor said, but I'm so tired. I can't exercise. What we're doing is we've got knowledge, but we're not applying knowledge. We're not embracing knowledge. And this is what happens in church so many times. We experience the gospel. We have a moment, maybe even a transformation in our lives, and then it gets old and we get used to it. We don't come alive when we think about the gospel. We don't come alive when we think about the price that Christ paid for us. It becomes something that comes normal to us. Um, and this is one of the problems in churches across America, is that what happens is the gospel becomes so normal, so eh, just whatever. We don't even think about people getting saved. We don't think about people's lives being transformed. And as a result, we become inward focused. And churches start fighting about stupid things that don't matter, how hot it is in the room or how cold it is in the room or they didn't sing the song the way I liked it or they let the other person sing the song and I like it when this person sings the song. Or you know what, these seats aren't as comfortable as the old seats. At my last church, I'm not exaggerating, at the last church I was at in Oklahoma City, um, we rearranged the seating arrangement in the room. We had chairs like these and we rearranged the seating arrangement to be able to get more people in the room. And we had a family that left because their spot was changed. Now, they weren't evil, they weren't bad, but what happened is they had lost sight of the gospel. Because when we understand the gospel and its power to transform, that will help us stay singularly focused. It will help us focus on the things that are important and the things that are unimportant. It will help us understand that it, it doesn't matter what color the carpet is at the end of the day. What matters is that Jesus is being proclaimed, that lives are being changed and transformed. It helps us differentiate between principles and preferences. Because people that are, that are focused solely on the gospel, that are focused solely on uh, the good news that Jesus came and laid down his life for us so that people could be transformed, it helps us focus on the things that really count and the things that really matter. See, the gospel has transformative power when we embrace it, but the question is, do you love this church or do you love the gospel? Because I'm going to be honest with you. These two things aren't mutually exclusive. You can love both. And I'm glad that many of you love Summit Church. I'm so glad, I promise. It's better than the alternative. Um, but this is the thing. This church can't change your life. The gospel can change your life. This church can't fix your marriage. The gospel can fix your marriage. This church can't transform this community, but the gospel can transform this community. So when we embrace the gospel, when we embrace what Christ has done for us, when we have a high level of affection and devotion for the cause of Christ, it changes everything else in us. And it changes the things around us as well. See, a church can influence you, but the gospel will transform you. That's what Jesus came for. That's what he's all about. Let me take this story with Onesimus a step further. When Paul, I said earlier that Onesimus, this escaped slave, was helping Paul with some of his 
with some of his errands and things like that, we see that, that Paul dispatches someone to deliver a letter to Philemon and to, to the Colossian church, and the person he dispatches is Onesimus. Now, I want you to remember back to what I said earlier. Slavery, escaped slaves, could be put to death. So what happened in this man's life that he was willing to take a letter to the very person that could end his life? What would compel him to make that decision? Because a rational person would say, Mel, that'd be foolish. Why would you even do that? You're scot-free. God's forgiven you. Why would you do that? The gospel. The gospel said, I'm going to go make it right even if it's hard, even if it costs me my life, even if it doesn't work out the way I want it to. I trust God. And I'm willing to risk it all because the gospel has changed me. It's transformed me. That's how much it changed this man. If you think back over your life, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, maybe you've been a Christian for a short time, whatever the case is, if you think back about who you used to be before the gospel transformed you, it's shocking to think about the ways that God has changed you. From behavior to the way you think, I used to get mad about this, but I don't get mad about all, all the different ways. And we don't see it sometimes. Like I said, we get used to the gospel, but the gospel's transformed us. It's changed us. And if it hasn't, it should. And that's why Jesus came. It's interesting because Paul writes this letter in a pretty lighthearted way. He can be really direct and even mean at times, but, but this is a little bit of a lighter letter. And one of the examples of that is verse 11. In verse 11, he says, Formerly he, talking about Onesimus, was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve, uh, might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord." Now, it's interesting, this first verse here at 11, it says, formerly he was useless to you. That's kind of hurtful, isn't it? <laughs> like if somebody told you, yeah, he was useless. But what this is, is it's clever wordplay is what it is, because the name Onesimus means useful. And so what he's saying is, hey, Philemon, his, I know his name is useful, but if we're going to be honest, he was not very useful to you, was he? I mean, he ran away and he stole your stuff. It's not very useful. But then something happened and he became useful. What happened? He came into contact with the gospel and it transformed his life. And he said, he has shifted now. Now he's not useless anymore. He is his namesake. He is useful now. He's useful to me for the purposes of the gospel, and he's going to be more useful to you than ever before. So he's using this as clever wordplay, but it is a way that Paul is trying to help touch the heart of Philemon to help him shift his mindset so that he doesn't want to execute uh, Onesimus when he gets there. And he said, I'm sending him back to you. And he says, I'm sending my very heart. We see him earlier. He called him his son. We see that there's a high level of affection for Philemon, I mean, for Paul with Onesimus. And Paul's trying to help him understand how important this young man is and how, how, how bright his future could be. And he said, I could have kept him here with me, but I wanted to do the right thing. And I, I sent him back to you. And this is a hard thing to do. And I said this in the earlier service. The hard thing or the easy thing and the right thing are rarely the same thing. 
A lot of times it's, it's hard to forgive someone. It's hard to set some things aside. It's easier for us just to pretend like everything's fine. We, oh yeah, it's been a long time. Everything's good now. But we don't want to have a hard conversation. We don't want to walk through something that could be painful. And at the end of the day, that's the healthiest thing we can do. We get called to do this over and over and over in Scripture. And so what Paul says is, I'm sending him back to you. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult for you to forgive him, for you to reconcile with him. But this is my heart. This is my goal. Verse 15 says, For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while. You might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord? So what he's saying is, um, maybe this was how God wants to work things out. Maybe he left and he used this terrible circumstance for him, leaving and robbing you, and he's using that to, to reconcile him back to you. He's taking a bad situation and working good from it. Maybe this is what he's doing. And Paul's speculating, but he said, now he's not coming back to you as a bondservant, as a slave. He's saying, my hope is that he comes back to you as a brother. What can possibly cause a shift in Philemon, for him to go from looking at him as a slave to a brother. And what Paul's appealing to is the gospel in him, the experience he's had that shifts and changes and transforms. One of the themes we see, I said this earlier, is the power of the gospel to transform relationships. In the book of Colossians, Colossians was written to the, at the same time, uh, taken by the same people, so they're closely aligned. We'll get into the book of Colossians uh, in October, November. We're going to spend two months walking through Colossians together. It's going to be a great series. I'm excited about it. Um, but I want to read a passage of Scripture from Colossians chapter 3 to you right now. Paul talks about just the evil of sin and what happens in our lives, and he gets to verse 9 of Colossians 3, and he says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So he says, we put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So we put off our old self and we're transformed by the knowledge of Christ. When we experience Christ, we embrace the gospel. We are transformed. And he says this, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. You go, Mel, what does this have to do with this? Because what Paul is saying to the Colossian church is, in the body of Christ, there is no divide in races or in ethnicities or in social classes. Christ is all and in all. So he goes through the list. He says there's no Greek or Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised. He says there's no barbarian or Scythian. Scythian was a nomadic group. They were undesirables. And so what Paul is saying is, uh, there is no divide. There is no separation. In the body of Christ, the gospel to transform our relationships with each other so that no longer do we go, oh, well, what do you drive? Oh, well, hey, you drive that. Because it's so easy to size people up when we meet them. It's so easy to, to fill in the gaps of knowledge with our assumptions, and that's what we do. We meet somebody, and we, we talk to them for the first time, and they mention something about politics, and we go, oh, I know who they voted for. I know everything I need to know about this person, right? Because we do that. We go, oh, they're a Republican? Well, they must believe this and this and this and this. Oh, they're Democrat? Well, they got to believe this and this and this and this. Oh, they're not a believer? Well, they got to believe this, 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 and this. What do we do? We fill in the gaps with our assumptions. Walking down the street, and we see somebody dressed in a different nationality. Maybe their skin color is a little darker than ours. 
One of our natural responses, we pull the kids a little closer. You hold your purse a little tighter, even the guys. It's 2018, I've seen some man purses. What do you do? You, you cross the street to the other side. What's going on? Well, we're making an assumption and we're filling in the gaps of our knowledge with assumptions about somebody we don't even know. Or we're making an assumption based on the way they look. We talk to somebody for the first time, well, where do you work? Well, I work at such and such. And you go, oh, wow, they're a doctor, right? We're filling in the gaps with our assumptions. Let's take this home. I'm gonna get in your business now, okay? <laughs> we all have little things in our marriage and relationships that drive us crazy about the other person, right? Uh, my wife has a million more on me than I do on her, I promise. Um, one of the only things I have, and it's not even that big a deal, my wife likes to leave the drawers on her dresser open which I don't understand. So the bottom drawer, the next to bottom, the third to bottom. So they're, they're open, they're all open. So in order to get to the bottom one, you gotta close the first two, which I don't get. <laughs> right? I had to open it, might as well close it. Now again, I've got the mic, and my wife's got a million more on these than me than I have on her. But that's one of those things that I can make an assumption and go, my wife knows she drives me crazy when she does that. Why does she do that? Let's flip the script. Ladies, you walk into the living room and there is your husband's socks for the five millionth time, right? And it's easy to fill in the gaps in your knowledge with an assumption and go, he knows I don't like this. Why would he do that? He must not love me anymore because if he loved me, he wouldn't leave his socks in the middle of the living room floor. He knows I got to pick them up and his stinky socks, they smell bad. They got holes in them. And I've got to pick up his socks. I didn't even know we're getting a divorce, but we are because he left his socks. <laughs> now, again, that's a little extreme, but do you understand what I'm saying? We have fights over the toothpaste tube, squeezed in the middle or on the end, or the toilet paper over the top or underneath. None of it matters. But this is the power of the gospel. This is the practicality in your life. This is the power of the gospel. The gospel, it will transform us, but it should transform our relationships because it will keep us from making assumptions about other people. It will allow us to see the best in others instead of the worst in others. It'll allow us to see people the way God sees them because God doesn't look at you and go, what a failure. God, I can't even believe. They mess up all the time. No. Do you know what God sees when he sees you? His daughter, his son. And he delights in you. But yet we will see people, and because they dress different than us, <gasps> oh, well they, they must be bad. They must be evil. They must. And I'm telling you today, the gospel can transform your relationships. And what Paul is talking to Philemon about is, is simply submitting this relationship to God and allowing him to transform it. To take this man that I'm sure he wanted exact justice upon and say, no, 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 I'm going to see him the way God sees him because God sees him as redeemed. So I'm going to look at him the same way. How do you do that? How do you forgive someone who's hurt you so badly? How? It's not easy. But it begins by saying, God, transform me and transform this relationship. I'm submitting it to you. Change it for your glory. Um, 
we, we talk about communion. First weekend of every month, we receive communion together. Next weekend, we'll receive communion together as a church. But one of the things we talked about at the beginning of this month was that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when it's describing communion, it's actually talking about reconciling relationship. So what Paul's saying to the church, in the Corinthian church is, um, hey, you're receiving communion, but you're doing it wrong. It wasn't the function of what they were doing. It was their hearts that was wrong because they were in conflict with each other. They were fighting with each other. And he said, you're just going through the religious motions. You're receiving communion, but your heart is wrong. You've got quarrels and fights. And he basically says, um, it would be better for you not to receive communion because it's just a religious activity. So what he's saying is, you have forgotten the gospel. That's why we receive communion together is because it reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. And he says, you've forgotten the gospel because if you hadn't forgotten the gospel, you would not treat each other like this. And what he's really saying is, the gospel transforms our relationships. And I'm telling you today, if there's conflict in relationships in your life, you have to ask yourself, am I submitting these to God? Are these being transformed by the gospel? Have I forgotten? Have I lost sight of what Jesus has done for me? Because if we really understand what Christ has done for us, it makes it that much easier for us to forgive those around us as well. <laughs> it's not simple, but that's the step we take. Verse 17 says this, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. So he says, if, if you love me, Treat him the same way you treat me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. So he says, I'm not going to mention the fact that you owe me, but I'm mentioning the fact that you owe me, right? Verse 20, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. And what Paul says is, if he owes you anything monetarily, if he's taken some, I will pay it back. And this is reflective of, of Christ's sacrificial love for us. So what he's saying is, if he owes you a debt, if there's something he can't pay, put it on my tab. I will pay that for him. Now, in terms of the gospel, think about this. Jesus literally paid a debt that we owed that we could never pay. Okay? Um, sin, the penalty for sin is death. So a righteous God would take our lives because there's no way I could live a righteous life. So when Christ paid the price for my debt, I took on his righteousness and he took on my punishment. He paid my debt. He paid your debt. If I came in here today and said, hey, guess what, guys? The summit has come into a fabulous amount of money and we've decided to do something special today. We're paying off everybody's credit card debt. We're not. We're not. <laughs> There would be some excited people in this church. Some of you that grew up Presbyterian would become Pentecostal in a moment, right? <laughs> Hallelujah! You'd be shouting, you'd be jumping up and down, you'd be hugging people you don't know. You'd be so excited that your debt was wiped out. Some of you have massive student debt, and some of you IUP students, unfortunately, may have massive student debt at some point. And if I said to you today, hey, I'm wiping away your student debt, You're not, you don't have to owe anything for school, we're taking care of it, you would be so excited. And what we have to understand is, in a very real way, what the gospel is, is this understanding that a debt has been wiped away that we owe that we could never pay. And when we understand that, something should come alive in us where we get excited and we go, oh my God, thank you, Lord. Thank you for doing something for me that I could never do for myself. Verse 21 says, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. And this sounds a little bit manipulative. 
Like Paul's trying to manipulate him and say, hey, if you really love me, you're going to do more than even what I ask you to do, right? But Paul's not trying to manipulate him. What he's saying is, is, is Philemon, if your heart really embraces the gospel, if you really understand what I'm asking, if you really understand what God has done for you, it's going to be easy for you to do even more than what I'm asking you to do. You're not just going to forgive. You're going to make him a brother. Because when you understand what Christ has done for you, you want to do for others. Not just the minimum standard. Because if we're going to be honest, a lot of us make decisions about our relationship with Christ based on the bare minimum. How many times do I got to go to church for Jesus to love me? Twice a month? Perfect. How often do I have to put something in the offering box? What, what do I have to... Uh, Mel keeps pressuring us for small groups, and Right? What is the minimum? But, but what Paul is saying is when our hearts come alive to the gospel, when we embrace the gospel, when we have a high affection level for the gospel of Jesus Christ, we want to do more. We want to give more. We want to serve. We want to be a part of that because we recognize what Christ did for us. <laughs> it's always dangerous when I go off my notes. There are people in this church that think it's crazy for other people to give more than they need to. You think it's crazy that somebody would give 15% of their income to the church or to the ministry of the church. And I will gently rebuke you and say, it's because you don't truly understand what Christ did for you. Because if you did, you wouldn't think it was crazy. You might not be able to give 15%, and that's fine. That's not what this is about. But, but you definitely wouldn't criticize somebody else for being generous when you understand what Christ did for you. There's people in our church, you might think it's crazy for you to forgive. Why would you forgive him for what he did? But when we understand what Christ did for us, what other option do we have but to forgive? And extend grace and mercy and to believe the best in someone instead of the worst in someone. Paul closes the letter by saying this. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. So he's saying, he's in prison in Rome and he says, pray for me. And as you pray for me, prepare a room that I can come visit you and get out of here. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark and Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now guys, obviously what we've talked about today is the gospel. And the power of Christ to change our lives, to transform us and to transform relationships. And so as we close, I just want to ask you a few questions. And these are questions I want you to ask yourself and reflect on these. And I, I believe if you ask the Holy Spirit to show you, he's going to show you. I want you to ask yourself a few questions. Is the gospel transforming me? Don't ask yourself, do I go to church enough? Don't ask yourself, do I need to jump into another small group? Or ask yourself, is the gospel transforming me? on a daily basis, moment by moment? Are you growing in your faith? Are you becoming more like Christ? Is the gospel transforming me? Second question, when I think about the sacrifice of Christ, when I think about the gospel, what is my response? Is your response, meh? Or does something come alive in you? Because I think we all have seasons that maybe we feel a little bit meh about the gospel, but if that is consistently who we are, there's problems. Third question I would ask is, do I assume the best or the worst in people? And then the follow-up would be, how does that impact my relationships? Because I promise you, if you assume the best in people, it's going to impact your relationships. 
And if you assume the worst in people, it's going to impact your relationships. All these things can be transformed by submitting it to the, to the gospel, to the cross, to Jesus Christ. He can shift these things in us. It isn't easy, it isn't magical, but it's amazing how our lives shift when we embrace what Christ did for us on the cross. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for giving yourself. Thank you for paying the price for my debt, for our debt on the cross. We could never pay it. Today we thank you for what you've done. Lord, I repent for the times that I have forgotten the price you pay, that I take it lightly. I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to give me clear vision of what you've done for me. Help me live with that as a constant point of focus in my life. I pray that each of us in this room would do the same. God, I pray for those that are here that aren't in relationship with you. Maybe they said a prayer, maybe they're religious, but the truth is they've never been transformed by your gospel, and today is their day. Lord, I pray that you draw them and woo them and help them see the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of the cross and what you've done for us. And let that be so compelling that you draw them and transform them. So have your way with us. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask if you're here today and you say, Mel, you know what? What you described as me, I'm, I'm religious or I've been to church a thousand times, but the truth is, I don't know if I've ever really been transformed by the gospel. I don't know if my life has ever really been changed. And today I want to submit myself. I want to surrender my life to Christ. I want to I want my life to change and be transformed. I want to be a different person. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you or make you come forward. I'm just going to pray with you right where you are. So if that's you, would you be bold enough to put your hand up real high where I can see it and just say, Mel, pray for me. That's me. Yeah, thank you. In the center section, I see you. Who else would say, pray for me, Mel? Thank you. I see you up in the balcony. Praise God. Who else? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Up in the balcony, I see you. Who else would join these? Yeah, thanks on my right. Thanks, sir. Thank you. In the center section, ma'am, I see your hand. Praise God. You can put it down. Praise God. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else? I'd like everybody in the room, whether you raised your hand or not, just to repeat this really simple prayer with me. Say this out loud. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me and thank you for paying the price for my sins on the cross. Help me to remember the price you paid and help it transform my life and my relationships. From this day forward, I am yours and you are mine. Use my life for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today, can't we? Now listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, no matter uh, whether you raised your hand or not, I just want you to know I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for you and I can't wait to see what God wants to do in your life. If you prayed that today, I would love for you to take the next step. We wanna help you grow in your faith. You can take the card out of the seat back in front of you. On one side it says need prayer, on the other side it says salvation. You'll fill out the side of the card that says salvation and just drop it in one of our offering boxes as you leave today. Um, we would love to get a hold of you in the next day or two, get you connected with relationships, gospel community, godly community that are gonna help you grow in your faith. Uh, and we're also gonna get you some resources that are gonna help you grow as well. If you're watching online, uh, no matter where you may be, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, let us know about it. You can text us the word salvation to the number 555-888. And when you do that, we're gonna respond back to you. We're gonna help you get in community, whether it's here in Indiana, or maybe somewhere throughout the United States or even the world, we're gonna help you find a God 
uh, believing, life-giving church in your area to get connected with. So again, thank you for worshiping with us today. Here's what's gonna happen now. These guys are gonna lead us in one final song. We're gonna worship together. And while we're doing that, our prayer team's gonna come up on either side of the stage. So if you need prayer for any reason as we sing this final song, why don't you step out from your seat, find one of our prayer team members, let them agree with you in prayer. And as we're singing this last song, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit some of those questions. Uh, is my life being transformed by the gospel? Uh, do I assume the best or worst in the people around me? And I promise he'll show you. And then ask him, what needs to shift in my life? What needs to be changed? And he'll reveal that to you. And after we're done singing in just a moment, Pastor Todd Stanley's gonna come and he'll close us out and dismiss us. So stand your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go, guys. I tell you guys often, I hope you know it. I love you more than you know. And I'm so honored that I get to be your pastor.